You don't get points for showing up on time. You get points deducted from you if you're late, right? So that you're saying out loud, you're not going to get points. There's nothing to gain from showing up on time. There's lots to lose from being late, but there's nothing to gain from showing up on time. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am so excited to share today's guest with you. Lee Carraher is the founder and CEO of Double Forte PR and Digital Marketing, a 15-year-old national agency that works with beloved and up-and-coming consumer technology and wine brands. An acclaimed communication strategist, Lee is known for her practical solutions to big problems. Lee has a reputation for building cohesive, high-producing teams who get a lot done and have fun at the same time. She is a straight talker who doesn't pull her punches, although she does her best to be pleasant about it. Her big laugh and sense of humor have gotten her out of a lot of trouble. The author of Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. Lee based the book on her experience with epically failing and then succeeding at retaining millennials in her business. Her second book, The Boomerang Principle, Inspiring Lifetime Loyalty from Employees, published in 2017, is a pragmatic and actionable guide to creating high-performing work cultures ready for the future. Lee is a popular guest expert on leadership, intergenerational workplaces, public relations, crisis communications, social media, and integrated marketing. She splits her time between San Francisco and New York City and puts her medieval history degree to work every day. Lee, there's so much we're going to be able to talk about today. Welcome to the show. Dr. Richard, it's so wonderful to be with you. Thank you for having me. So there's so many things that we can talk about based on your bio that I read in the introduction, and we are definitely going to figure out how you put your medieval history to work every <laughs> every day sooner or later. But I know that you have a lot of expertise in millennials and management, and I know that a lot of people listening to this you know, are business professionals. So I think where it would be a great place to start is take us through... What are the the breakdowns? And people have heard the terms Gen X, Gen Y. Take us through the different ages or, or I guess, descriptors for the age ranges as it fits in there. And we'll start there. Okay. So actually, Pew Research, which is what I use as my resource for this because there's so many different places to go, actually just rescoped the Gen Y, which is also known as the millennial generation. So uh, this is hot off the press. So basically... We have today five generations in the workplace. We have Gen Z. Gen Z is born, basically today they are up to 24 years old. So anyone born today up to 24, and probably they will change that on the back end, like the zeros later in time. Then we have Gen Y, also known as millennials. 
and they are 25 to 37. Gen X is 38 to 52. Boomers are 54 to 67. And Silent Generation is 68 to about 88, uh, somewhere in there. And they are all working. Um, so many um, of our businesses today have all five generations, which is the first time in his- our American history we've had such a wide range of age. And that's only going to keep going. And they each have their own quirks. But of course, to use generalities um, by saying all millennials are the same or all Gen Z are the same or all, you know, is ridiculous, which is why I tried to tackle that in my first book, Millennials in Management. So take us through some of the key points in millennials and management, because that is, you you often hear, and I've seen articles where mm-hmm. it, it says that, you know, there is a culture clash in the workplace because the Gen X and the boomers who are still working don't understand why it appears that millennials don't want to work one second past 5 p.m. And, you know, <laughs> there's, there's this perception, right? So yeah. Dispel this this myth for yeah. us and tell us what's really going on with millennials. Well, so I had that I wrote this book out of my own experience um, in my company, Double Forte, which is a public relations and social media firm, and we just sucked at keeping millennials in our business. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, we got to figure this out. So I went and looked, and like you said, um, everything I researched was so negative. Oh my gosh, there wasn't th- anything positive to say about this generation, which is statistically impossible obviously. Um, And so my goal was to figure it out for my company so that the future of the company wouldn't be negative, basically. Um, And the biggest myths around millennials are they're lazy, that they want a trophy for showing up on time, that they have, some of them have uh, helicopter parents, that they're rude. Um, They don't know what to work. They don't know how to work and that they don't want to work. And um, except for the helicopter parent thing, well, and the award thing, everything's wrong. It is true that there are many helicopter parents in, in, that are not helping their adult children. So if you are one or you have one, stop it. Um, it is also true that most millennials um, got into the workforce and have, a, have an understanding that if they do something well, they will be rewarded for that. Um, that is not their fault. That is what has happened in culture with everybody wins soccer and great inflation and all these other things I can talk about. And those are easily changed um, with context and expectation setting early on in a career, uh, which is not necessarily what most businesses do. Um, but in terms of being willing to work long and hard, absolutely. Absolutely. They work differently than the Gen X and the boomers, for sure. They work differently. They're used to multiple streams of information, multiple screens. They're used to work-life integration, not work-life balance, which I'll talk about in a second. They are, I don't think they, um, millennials are rude, but they definitely do not have the same context around etiquette and good manners that was sort of drilled into education for the Xers, boomers, and silent generation. And... Uh, that does create a huge friction in the workplace. Um, and they want to work hard. There's no, in my experience, I haven't met a millennial who doesn't want to work hard, truly, truly doesn't want to work hard, but they want to know why they're working. And when you can solve for the why you're working and for the high expectation and how you move forward or how you craft your own life, you create an environment where millennials can thrive. And by definition, everybody else thrives because. Who doesn't want to know why they're working? Who doesn't want to have 
a life if they want. It's just that boomers and Xers were never uh, had the expectation that we could ask for those things. So you mentioned that they do work differently. And in particular, you spoke of work-life integration versus work-life balance. Talk to us about those points. So work-life balance is something that has been obviously in the lexicon and as an agenda item for over 25 years. And uh, you, you can't pick up a business newspaper or article or go online and not find those words, work-life balance. And really it's um, women in the workplace as they moved up to the, you know, really sort of pushing the edges of executive ranks um, and still maintained their uh, responsibilities at home in the work in, in the home with their families they really pushed this idea of work-life balance that I would go to work and then I would leave work and I would have my life and that you could have it all well that's ridiculous I mean we can't really have it all <laughs> speaking as a working mom as a daughter of a working mother, <laughs> Um, you know, you, there's no possible way you can be the best employee and the best wife and the best mom all at the same time. Uh, it's, I mean, men didn't have it. I'm not sure why women wanted women wanted to sign up for that either. But this idea that you would have a work life and then you would have a life life and that they would be separated was definitely part of this work life balance thing. And you were trying to equal it out, sort of like the the scales of justice. Much like relationships, I think that, uh, you know, a relationship that you're in is never a 50-50 thing all the time. You sort of ebb and flow from 10 to 90, 40 to 60, 50 to 50, 51 to 49. But, I, you know, you're sort of ebbing and flowing. And we, have, and we think about this, particularly with time now being we're in a 24-7 uh, culture with technology. And millennials uh, grew up with this technology, were educated with technology, really many millennials learned how to, you know, had upside down classrooms where they were doing homework in the, in the classroom and, and videos at night. So their idea of time and when things get done is very different from the nine to five expectation that a work-life balance uh, conversation had. So work-life integration is I have a body of work to do. I need to be connected all day long. And how will I go back and forth through my work responsibilities and my personal responsibilities from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep uh, so that they can be optimized? And it's very much of a different conversation than I'm going to leave work now and I'm not going to think about it until I show up tomorrow at nine o'clock, which in most jobs, uh, particularly white collar jobs, is not possible. So in essence, you know, whereas the Xers and the boomers would essentially, you know, historically, anyhow, before mm -hmm. the technology and all of these things we have now, they, they would kind of attempt to leave it at the door. Yeah. The millennials are going to go hang out with their friends and then, you know, remote connect into the office at 10 o'clock at night and, Some and of them will, you yeah. know, maybe do their work that way. Well, I think that works, you know, in my in my business, which is communications business, we're in a 24-hour news cycle. Uh, I need to have people checking what's going on in the news before they go to bed <laughs> to make sure that nothing got changed for the next day. And that's not just because, not just my millennial employees, that's my extra, I mean, that's sort of everybody, right? The how work is, and if work is distributed around the world today, um, and many companies, even small companies like mine, have people in other time zones, like, halfway around the world, um, you sort of have to adjust to when your workforce, uh, when the workforce is available 
and when you need them available and when things are happening in the world so that you can be efficient. The, the other piece of that, true, is we're, is we're becoming much more aware of sort of uh, how time uh, impacts and when in the day uh, impacts our work in our life. Um, if you're a parent, I always tell my parents here at the company, be checking your personal email like all day long if you have kids in school, man. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck with all the bad volunteer jobs because, you know, emails come out in the middle of the day. They don't come out, you know, at the beginning <laughs> when we just happen to be home. So we all have much more to do um, and there's much more connection and things don't happen uh, in a binary fashion uh, as they I'm not sure they ever really did, but the workforce and the way we worked because of technology didn't let us be connected all day long, sort of really created this bifurcation of work and life. And today that you would be hard pressed, uh, particularly with white collar jobs, to find the person who didn't need to be flowing back and forth. It it does require, I mean, it does sort of demand a whole new set of understandings and trust um, and expectation setting with your workforce so that you understand what is expected and you can also deliver uh, while you also have these other responsibilities. Even if you don't have children, you know, um, you know, want to go to workout, the workout class is at 530, go to the workout class and I'll plug in later. That kind of thing is more of an expectation for every generation than it, than it would have been in the nine to five work time. Totally makes sense, Lee. And, and I want to circle back to the millennials. And I mean, mm-hmm. your book is Millennials and Management, your first book. So yeah. I, I want to approach this from two ways. One, because many of the people in my audience are millennials, are within yes. that, you know, the, the 25 to 37 year old range. And then we've, we've got mm-hmm. quite a lot of people who are, you know, in that Gen, Gen Xers. Xers. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. if you are a millennial, talk to us about strategies to best work with Xers mm-hmm. and boomers. And then if you're of those generations, talk about some strategies in working with millennials. Yeah. I think for millennials, particularly younger people coming into the workforce, you know, they are, uh, many people coming to the workforce have not used the technologies that legacy companies are using. So may not have ever used Outlook, but more people use Outlook in business than use Gmail, that kind of stuff. And it's very different. They have very different uh, capacities. So one, uh, I would say, uh, I've not met a millennial employee who didn't have an idea of how to improve our process. And my request to you all is to, to do it their way first before saying, oh, I have a better way to do this. Because until you've done something your team's way, you don't necessarily understand all the dependencies that are required in the work. Yes, it might be easier to send a Google link than to print out a piece of paper and move that piece of paper through your organization, but there may be reasons that you can't see that that piece of paper is important to move. So do it their way first. And then once you've gone through a full cycle of whatever that process is, um, and under, you know, ask for time to talk with somebody to say, hey, I have some thoughts on how we might streamline this process. Can I talk with you, talk with you about them? Instead of just saying, this is stupid, Let's use a Google Drive, you know, Google link instead of doing that. Because you do, I mean, there is an, I haven't met somebody who's younger than me who hasn't, who doesn't have a great idea of how to make things more streamlined and use technology to our advantage. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing I was, is, you know, asking questions all day long is not productive. Uh, it's interrupting and 
It doesn't help the impression that you want to make in the office. Instead, ask for context setting at the beginning of a project if you're not getting it, um, and then set times for to check in at, that aren't every hour on the hour. And this is a big, particularly from Gen Xers to millennials, is one of the biggest complaints. Then why do they need so much check-in time? Of course, Gen Xers are is the smallest generation, has more single children, more single people in it, uh, no, you know, with no siblings than either millennials or boomers, much more independent, sort of need the instruction, go off, do things, I'll let you know how I got it done. A lot of latchkey kids in the Gen Xers. So the, the even the ability to check in with people was not there as they were growing up as it was for millennials. So, um, and the other thing for millennials is, uh, I would say, don't assume that you know, right? Ask for, um, ask what the expectation is. A lot of people are not good at setting expectations. A lot of your bosses are not good at conflict resolution. A lot of your bosses are not good at confrontation or correction because they don't want to be seen as a negative person or or a mean boss. You know, you know, we all want to be known as good people. So if you're not asking for the feedback and no one's giving you feedback, there is feedback to be gotten. So go ask for it. For Gen Xers, I would say to them, and I do say to them often, Make sure you're setting context often and early in any process. Here's what the project is. Here's your role in the project. If you do not do your job, we will not finish our job as a team. Make sure that everybody understands that they are important to the process and to the team. Set the context early. Here's what we're expecting. Here are the check-in times. Here, And then ask for input. How can we make this better? How can we have a better impact? than the one that I'm expecting. You may not get any answers, but the question is really important to ask for your younger staff. They want to know that their opinion matters. If you ask and get nothing, at least you've asked, and no one can say you didn't ask. And that's really, really important from an optics perspective. Also, in terms of setting expectations, here's my expectation. You will be on time. Here are the hours that you will be here. or whatever it is, so that if an expectation is you'll be on time, that you don't have the expectation you'll be giving out an award for showing up on time, which a lot, a lot, a lot, millions of people are getting awards literally for showing up at time in their classrooms in college. So, you know, you got to break that cycle early in someone's career um, because what they've experienced in the education system is not what they're going to experience in the workforce. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. Lee, how, I just want to jump in and ask a question about that. How, how challenging is that? And I know it's a loaded question, but the literature seems to indicate that you have a generation 
of individuals, the millennials in particular who I'm mm-hmm. talking about, who had years and years and years of getting these awards for showing up. So, yeah. you know, now you graduate, you're getting into the quote unquote real world. It's obviously a culture shock, I'm sure, for the Huge. millennials that come in there. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are some specific strategies that you could give for helping break that cycle, as you said? You said to break it early. How do we do it? So we do it by being honest, right? We do it by having, you know, in that onboarding process, um, an explicit conversation around reward and um, achievement so that people understand. um, Because you may have people starting in a class, if it's a large company, people starting from many different organizations, many different schools that have different, you know, small schools, large schools, universities, not whatever, you know. And laying out expectations of behavior. So here are the values of the organization. Here's how those values are expressed in behavior. For instance, uh, one value might be we all um, teamwork and how it's expressed at that company is that we all empty the trash. You know, if you see the trash overflowing, go empty it. Don't call, don't call someone else to do it um, kind of thing. Or if you see a dirty Band-Aid, pick up the dirty Band-Aid and throw it away. That might be how it's expressed in behavior teamwork. Whatever, whatever the values are of the organization, how are they expressed in behavior is super important. Um, so you can say, here's what we expect. In terms of awards and appreciation, those cultures that, you know, where people feel more appreciated, uh, actually feel appreciated for their work, outperform those that don't uh, by up to 30%, which is just profit to the bottom line. But what, is that, what does appreciation look like? How do, we, how do you know you're doing a good job? We're going to tell you. If you show up on time, we are, you know, we expect you to show up on time. And what does that expectation look like? If you're not going to show up on time, you need to let us know. You don't get points for showing and just saying, we don't, you don't get points for showing up on time. You get points deducted from you if you're late, right? So that you're saying out loud, you're not going to get points. You, there's nothing to gain from showing up on time. There's lots to lose from being late. But there's nothing to gain from showing up on time and just being explicit about those expectations and the behaviors you expect in the workplace. If you want to take a break and you're in a compliance job, uh, you can't take a break between these times and these times. Just know that you can't do that or whatever it is, right? So that you can be very explicit. And we expect you to show up the second day. (laughs) But here are the, we don't expect, you know, if you're going to be, have to leave early, you need to ask for permission or whatever the rules are in your office, but being really explicit about the behaviors that you expect um, and how they tie into your values and how they tie into performance is super important really early. Uh, I have talked to so many people who are like, who said, who say to me, I don't understand why they left early because you didn't tell them they couldn't because they've had so much freedom in their days, their whole lives. And they, and they really don't know that they don't have that freedom anymore unless they've had a job in an internship where there was expectations, they do, no one's ever told them that they have to be somewhere because they've been able to work wherever they wanted. It sounds like they should know. And every time you think to yourself, my gosh, why don't they know that? They should know that. That word should, should be your, needs to be your trigger word because you're assuming that someone told them something that you need them to know before you did. Don't assume anything. Makes sense. You have to 
absolutely set your own expectations for what the values and what the behaviors are in your in your own organization. And that is true as you go forward. I mean, you're going to you hire someone in new who's 35. You want to set those expectations for those people as much as you set those expectations for the younger people who are joining your organization. Makes perfect sense, Lee. And, and I want to transition and talk about some of the principles of your second book, in particular, mm-hmm. one principle, the boomerang principle, which yes, inspiring lifetime loyalty from employees. So take us through the tenets of this book. Yeah. So the boomerang principle is the belief that those organizations that allow and encourage their former employees to return to them as employees have a strategic advantage over those that don't. And the tenant of the book really starts from an old, the old school idea that if you leave me, you're dead to me because you're, you're showing disloyalty by leaving a job. Uh, which is pervasive still, and it's becoming less pervasive, but it's definitely pervasive and definitely a point of contention between older employees and younger employees uh, or younger former employees uh, today across the country in different industries and different kind of workforces. A few things. One, when you are paying someone, you ex- they're going to show up for you because you're paying them. That is actually not loyalty. That is a transaction. I am paying you for your attention. (laughs) Loyalty is really the idea that I'm going to do something for you, Dr. Richard, when you're not paying me to do something. I'm going to do it because I value you. (gasps) I had a great idea. Oh my gosh, I met Joe. Dr. Richard, you should hire Joe. He is going to be awesome for your organization. That's loyal. And I don't work for you. And I'm not expecting to be paid for that. That is loyalty. So the idea is sort of built into sort of uh, many different trends that are merging at the same time. One trend is that uh, millennials and Gen Z before behind them really think they're going to have four or five, six different careers, not just jobs, but career functions, right? They will uh, be an account coordinator on something. They will be in the public relations field. They're going to be in the sales field. They're going to be in the podcasting world. They're going to be a doctor. Well, those things are not connected, right? But they really imagine they will have a very multifaceted, rich, tiled career that the jobs may not relate to each other, but that they can hop from one to the other and sort of go from the bottom to the top of many different things. This is not the expectation that Gen X and boomers had uh, when we were that age. So it's, you know, it'd be amazing if one company could hold somebody for their whole career. So that's one trend. The other trend is today, if you're born, you have a 50% chance of living to 105. The idea that we're going to have 30, 40 year careers is not true anymore. Really, our children are going to have 60, 70 year careers, going to have to work that long because most of us won't be, one, we're going to be bored to death if we stop working at 60 and we're living for 45 more years. And two, most of us, 99.99% of us will not earn enough by the time we're 60 to um, save for 45 more years of good life, particularly as healthcare goes up. So one, so the second trend is they're going to be working longer. So if people are working longer, if you are discounting them, if they've left your company, you are shrinking your talent pool dramatically over time. There's no reason we shouldn't think about it dramatically. I mean, exponentially. Every time someone leaves you, if you don't let them come back, in the next 40 years, oh my goodness, your your talent pool to choose from is getting shrunk, um, smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. We all need to be in corporations and companies of any size that have the largest talent pool to choose from as possible. Um, and that should include 
that needs to include former employees. Uh, a former employee coming back to you is saying two things. One is probably more valuable to you the second time around because they already know your culture. They know how things get done. They've learned other things out there in the other world, and they're bringing that valuable expertise to, back to your company, but becoming much more efficient, much faster than a new employee would because they have a shortcut to culture. And two, they are also demonstrating to their current employees that the valuable place that they already work. Uh, my research shows that people who companies that allow people to come back and encourage people to come back when it's right, not everybody is boomerang eligible and not every time is right to bring everybody back for sure, but those companies lose people slower than companies that don't because they are working to create a great culture. So if you create a place to have people come back to, you create a place for people to stay. And if we can keep people one more year in our organizations that we want to, we keep the good ones in one more year. We are, make, are improving our process, improving our profit, improving our culture. And that is what sustainability will be in the future as we think about longer careers and different careers for many people over time. So one of the things you talk about in this book is steps to creating a culture of return. Take us through those. So steps to creating a culture of return. One is sort of what I just talked about earlier around values. What, why does your company exist? What is the purpose of your firm? So that people know why they're coming here and what the result of the work, collective work will be. Two, to be a culture of appreciation. So how do you, what does that mean? Um, that means that you're saying please and thank you, basically, for, for the work at hand. And do you have to? No, you don't have to. Uh, and if you were a fan of Mad Men, uh, you know the line where he says, well, your thank you is your paycheck. Well, thank you, your pay, thank you is your paycheck. Technically, I guess is correct, but uh, does not engender people to you. And in a world where 25%, if you were looking for the 20, top 25 percenters, you got to keep those top 25 percenters in. Top 25 percenters aren't staying around for thank you as your paycheck, no matter who you are. Uh, so appreciation, just practice it. This was very hard for me, Dr. Richard. I did not come from a house. Uh, please and thank you were implied in our household. So me learning how to say please and thank you explicitly all the time, repetitively, was very hard for me. But when I did it and my organization became a, a culture of appreciation, our tenure lasted longer and our, our efficiency increased. So a culture of appreciation. Three is a culture of opportunity. So what are the options? Like if you come to work here, what are my possibilities? And, you know, what you said earlier about sort of the hierarchical move up the chain, move up the ladder careers, really not too much, doesn't really have much to do with today's careers at all. But if I start in this position, what might I be able to do? Could I get over there to that position? Um, could I do this? Could I do that? Yeah, you could do all of that if you qualify. Um, and just being open to um, a matrix career versus a laddered career. And, um, and then uh, and explain to people, okay, some of that's going to be on you. If you want to like come into sales and then go into product development, you're going to have to go get a more learning about that, right? And we have, maybe the company has a, a subsidy on learning, but it's really on your time. It's not on company time where you're going to go learn to be something else. But being able to say, absolutely, you can do that. Uh, people want to know that there's opportunity and choice. So those sort of four things all together um, really help create um, an opportunity, uh, a culture of return. 
I guess the, I'm sorry. And the last thing is keeping connected, right? How do you keep connected? How do you keep your former employees connected to you by creating a corporate rep, um, a corporate alumni program that you manage? It's not sort of a rogue former employee on LinkedIn, but uh, a program that you manage from the company that keeps your former employees attached to you by in a social network, a private social network that other people can't get into and by email and by events is something that uh, will become more and more valuable over time. I love 